Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to VMB, the voice of Manhattan business, brought to you by the Manhattan Chamber of Commerce. I'm your host, Bruce Hurwitz. You can find me on the web at either hsstaffing.com or fishhookbooks.com. I hope everyone will be able to join me this coming Wednesday at noon when my guests will be Alex Mervis from Phoenix Merchant Services. We will be discussing credit card processing, retail, and e-commerce. To learn about all future shows, please visit our website, www.thevoiceofmanhattanbusiness.com. And please remember to visit the events page on the Chamber's website, www.manhattancc.org, to learn about upcoming events on the Chamber's calendar. I am delighted to be joined today by Anil Milwani from 212 Tax and Accounting Services. We will be discussing myths about tax deductions, what you can legally write off. Please remember the opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views or positions of the Manhattan Chamber of Commerce. If you have any questions, feel free to call in. The number is 805-243-1301. Anil, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Bruce. Well, it's a pleasure, and I want to thank you for your flexibility as we had a reschedule at the last moment from yesterday, so I really appreciate your willingness to come on today. No problem. Now, for those people who have not had the pleasure, tell us about yourself and your company. Sure. I uh, live uh, in New York City in the Upper East Side with my wife and two daughters, and I founded uh, 212 Tax and Accounting Services in 2008. We specialize in all kinds of tax preparation, including individual small business, LLCs, partnerships, corporations, sales and payroll taxes, amendments, prior years, IRS and New York State audit representation. Really, um, there's very few things regarding taxes, whether it's business or personal, that we don't cover here at 2 and 2 Tax. We also do provide bookkeeping services for some of our small business clients. And fortunately, we have grown rapidly because of our very high rate of client satisfaction, which fortunately, most of our clients have chosen to share online. So as I'm sure you know, the power of social media is... Uh, pretty unbelievable these days. So fortunately, it's it's helped us grow our firm at a, a very uh, great rate. Now, our topic. Thank you for that. Our topic is tax deductions. So define for us what is a tax deduction. Sure. Obviously, that's the kind of question that could be answered many different ways. Uh, the, the way I see it, the most basic way to describe it, it's, it's a line item on a tax return that usually reduces the taxpayer's taxable income therefore lowering their tax liability. For most deductions, taxpayers are only required to provide the amount and the basic description of each deduction. And proof of a deduction is only required if the IRS or the state tax department choose to examine, otherwise known as audit, that the tax return. Now, the three main types of deductions are, number one, itemized deductions, which go on Schedule A, those, the most popular types of itemized deductions are state and local income taxes paid, mortgage interest, real estate taxes, charitable contributions, tax preparation fees, investment management fees, and the ever-so-famous unreimbursed job expenses, which we'll go into detail later on. Business deductions are the second type of tax deduction. Those are for, mostly for self-employed taxpayers, which go on a Schedule C. Those include ordinary and necessary expenses, those are quotes from the IRS uh, rulebook, that should relate directly to the taxpayer's self-employed income. 
And most of these types of deductions are the same, regardless of whether you're a sole proprietor, you're an LLC, corporation, or a partnership. Most of these deductions are the same. And just by creating an entity, you don't get to deduct anything additional, which is a very common misconception out there when it comes to taxes. The third and final type of major tax deduction is those taken from rental real estate, which go on Schedule E. Uh, the most popular of which, of course, mortgage interest and real estate taxes are, are your two most popular Schedule E deductions. If a property is partly used for personal use and only partly rented out, then those deductions are split between the Schedule A itemized and the Schedule E for rental real estate. Other common Schedule E expenses are repairs, cleaning and maintenance costs, homeowners association fees, insurance and management fees. So those are the three uh, major types of deductions, Bruce. Something just came to mind. The Chamber is trying to lobby the city to change or ultimately do away with what's called the commercial rent tax. Yeah, I saw an email about that, I think, in the last day or two. It's for anybody below 96th Street who pays uh, at least a quarter of a million dollars in rent, right. which is um, uh, an unwanted additional expense. But is it possible, can you deduct that tax from your federal taxes or your state yeah, taxes? Yeah, definitely. 100%, it's 100% deductible against federal and state income taxes, oh, the commercial okay. rent tax. I, yeah. I did not know that. All right, thank you for that. Now, in general, what's the basic rule about what is or is not deductible for a business or for an individual? So for an individual who's not taking the standard deduction and instead itemizing on Schedule A, uh, it's pretty clear what is and what's not deductible. Uh, Taxpayers are allowed to deduct mortgage interest and property taxes for up to two properties that are not being rented out, not investment use. Actually, if you have even something like a boat, which is something where you could technically sleep and shower on and live on for an extended period of time, you're actually even allowed to deduct the mortgage interest on a boat, as long as it's within the two properties. You are even allowed to deduct uh, mortgage interest that's paid to a private individual. So if it's the person you bought the house or boat from, they give you a private loan. As long as you have a legal signed loan agreement and you're paying them interest and you have their Social Security number, you can write that off on Schedule A as well. And, and of course, the, the the reason why the IRS requires that you put the person's Social Security number is so that they can cross-check it with that person's tax return to make sure they're declaring the interest income. When it comes to charitable deductions, as long as the contribution was made to a qualified charity in the U.S., it is usually deductible. If the taxpayer received anything in return for the deduction, for example, a meal or a gift, the cost of that meal or gift must be deducted before taking the deduction. Now, as I'm sure you know, most qualified charities issue some kind of letter or receipt to yeah. show the calculation into what was actually deductible. Mm-hmm. For unreimbursed job expenses, sorry? I would just want on charitable deductions, I don't know if you know it, but in a previous life, I was a fundraiser, a nonprofit professional, and the general rule of thumb was unless it was a very prestigious gift, let's say an award from Tiffany, but then that you would have to deduct from the amount of your charitable deduction. But if it just had a logo on it, like a pen or a cup, you didn't have to uh, deduct anything. You could write the whole thing off. Is that still true? It, I can't say for sure. I'd have to check on something like that. But it sounds to me like it probably is because 
if the yeah. cost of the item is so de minimis, they say, and if a promotional yeah. item like a pen or, you know, it's going to be a few cents or not even a dollar, then it's not something the IRS would even pay attention to. So according to the mm-hmm. rule book, I can't say for sure, but I, I don't think any auditor would really go after something like that, you know. Yeah, it's like the you see on the television commercials for Shriners Hospital and they send you a blanket. Right, right. That yeah, we same never, with Wounded Warrior Project, yeah. They, yeah, yeah. yeah. Same thing. So same. Yeah. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. The third no point you wanted to make. So um, where were we? For oh, the next, the last, the final uh, thing I was going to speak about for this question was the unreimbursed job expenses or business deductions mm-hmm. and deductions taken against rental real estate. The basic IRS rule is that the expense must be ordinary and necessary for the business and or for the income received. Ordinary means the deduction must be common and accepted in your type of business or industry. And necessary means that the expense is appropriate and helps you generate revenue for your business. Now, most lavish and extravagant deductions would probably be disallowed if they were selected for examination by an IRS or state representative. A possible exception to that would be if the taxpayer could prove that the large expense related directly to generating a specific source of revenue and or obtaining a new client for business. So, for example, you know, if you spend a couple thousand dollars, I was going to say on, on Nick's playoff tickets, but I think these days it's more like uh, Rangers <laughs> or Islanders playoff tickets. If you were to take a potential client or a client to a game, and, of course, we know around here good playoff seats are, are not less than a couple thousand dollars, and you wrote it off on your tax return, um, and, and, you know, if you were audited and you could show, well, look, we, you know, I closed with, with the person I took to the game, you know, shortly after we closed this deal or they, they hired us for this new type of service, your chances of getting that approved are much higher. So it, it's, not, it's, it's, it's not fair to say they're not always allowed. I think that it's, uh, it could be allowed depending on the circumstance. So those are the, the, main, you know, the, those are the main ways that, um, that you, we could, I could shortly answer your question as to what's deductible and what's not. Of course, we could do a whole show on that, but those are the basic is there, ways. Is there a limit, for example, let's just say, we had a client, we were um, a prospective client, and we flew to, I don't know, Los Angeles. So you fly first class, you stay at a fancy schmancy hotel. Can the IRS come back and say, well, you can only deduct what it would have cost if you had gone, traveled coach and stayed at a cheaper hotel? I haven't seen that. Um, the thing is, I mean, and we've done a show on audits, and we could do another show mm-hmm. on audits. I'd be happy to. But mm-hmm. the truth is, when when if you get into those kind of like what I think is nitty gritty details, it all comes down to the overall picture and the overall negotiation. You know, so they're going to look at how much revenue you're generating, who your clients are, and they it would probably be more of like a percentage. It wouldn't be even the cost of the economy ticket and the hotel or the compared to the cost of the first class ticket. It would be what those costs are compared to the amount of revenue you're generating and the types of clients you're dealing with. You know, if I you're dealing understand. with a more high end client and, and staying in the staying at the St. Regis or the Waldorf is gonna mm-hmm. you know, kind of impress that client, you have a better chance. If you if you're dealing with more of a lower end client where it won't matter where you're staying, you know, things like that. Okay. Thank you. Now what percentage of the cost of something for which you want to deduct can be deducted? So most of the time, it's actually 100% with most uh, deductions. 
Uh, the most common uh, exceptions to that are meals, entertainment, for example, the playoff tickets I was just talking about. Those would be anything, whether it's a thousand bucks for the, the dinner, or five hundred bucks for the dinner, or even fifty dollars for the dinner, or the ticket. That all comes off at fifty percent. And I think the basic IRS understanding behind that is that you would have eaten that meal anyway, or you would have gone to that game anyway, so it shouldn't be at a hundred percent, you know. Um, but and then of course there's a home office deduction. That's based on first of all the home office has to be primary. So I have a lot of clients and potential clients say, oh well, you know. I do go in office most days of the week or every day, but I work a lot from home. I mean, so do I. We all, I think these days, the way the economy works and the way business works, it's very rare that someone wouldn't work from home no matter what they do, whether they're self-employed or whether they're on a W-2. But it has to, to take any part of your home office as a deduction. It has to be your primary place of business. So that is, the percentage of that is based on the square footage exclusively used for business compared to the total square footage of your home. And, of course, when I tell people, that sometimes they're like they roll their eyes and they're like, "How am I supposed to? Am I supposed to really, you know, get out my measuring tape and and really like uh, maybe even hire someone to do this for me?" I'm like, "No, as long as you're reasonable with the percentage, you should be fine. No part of the bedroom, bathroom, couch, bed, none of that's deductible. Even though mm-hmm. if you do work in those places, it's only the part that's exclusively used for business that you can write off. And with a with a vehicle used for business, it's very similar. It's you know you. When you have a vehicle used for business, you either take the standard mileage deduction or you take the actual expenses. If it's a standard mileage deduction, you take your regular business miles, not including commuting miles. Commuting is never deductible whether you take the car, the subway, or the bus, or train. And you take your, sta- your miles and times it by the standard rate, which changes every year. It hovers around 50 to 60 cents a year. But mm-hmm. if you, whatever, you could take whatever helps you more the first year. Or you take actual expenses and you just take your percentage of business miles Compared to your total miles and whatever that percentage is, you times it by your actual repairs, maintenance, gas, insurance, all those types of actual vehicle expenses. The only thing that one thing to point out with the vehicle is that once you elect standard mileage or actual, the first year that you use that car for business, you must stick to that method the whole life of the vehicle. So you can't change methods until you change cars with that. But like I said, other than those three exceptions, most of the things are deductible at 100%. So you can't deduct, and I think this is important because a lot of us would uh, commute into the city. In, uh, business owners and individuals uh, are not permitted to deduct their uh, their commute. You know, the, the bus, regular the train, If you regularly work in the city, then your regular commute is not deductible. If you regularly work from home and mm-hmm. you're coming into the city to meet a client, a business partner, a potential client... Mm-hmm. Your accountant, your lawyer, whatever it is, you know, yeah. uh, it's not then a regular thing. Then you can deduct that, but not if you're just okay. commuting in for regular for a regular work day. Okay. Now, w- under what circumstances can equipments or supplies, tangible things, things that you can hold in your hand, be deducted? And a follow-up question: Does it matter how it's classified? For example, if you put down toner cartridge for the printer as a supply, as office supplies, but the drum, which you'll only replace maybe once every few years, as equipment. Is that in any way significant? No, no, I don't think it's significant at all. Again, it comes down to kind of what we were talking about before. As long as your total office expense and or office supply deduction is seems reasonable according to the number of employees you have, how big your office is, and the amount of revenue you're generating, there, that's that's probably, to be honest with you, one of the least um, uh, the, the less analyzed category, office expenses, office supplies, because it's 
probably the least abused category. You know, when it comes to meals, entertainment, travel, those things can be, you know, quote, abused more than, um, than, than the tangible items. Um, when it comes to items like computers, equipment, software, those things the IRS prefers, you can still write them off, but they like, they like to see those listed out, per, listed out like separately on the return, especially if they're $500, $1,000, the more expensive items, they want to see those listed out. Um, if it's small things like an ink cartridge or, you know, for 100 bucks or thing, like things that are not add up to not a, a whole lot of money, especially compared to your revenue, you can lump those together and just list it out as one line item. But when it comes to the bigger items, they want to see them listed out. Um, and th- there's a part of the tax code called Section 179, which means you can all these things like, that I talked about, the, the monitors, computers, TVs, printers, that can all be written off because of Section 179 as long as you just list them out. And usually the limit on that is up to $25,000 per item. It's one of these things that kind of technically expires every year, but Congress keeps renewing it because the truth is to, to make you depreciate a $500 computer or $1,000 printer or whatever it is, it, it's, it's more work for the accountants and more work for the IRS to, like, go through it. So they're like, you might as well just dep- expense it. When it comes to leasehold improvements and really more expensive pieces of equipment that go 25000 higher, that, of course, you're forced to depreciate because they don't feel that it would be fair for you to write, write that whole thing off in the first year of purchase. So does that, I think that answers your question. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And just a reminder, you're listening to the Voice of Manhattan Business. My guest today is Neil Milwani from 212 Tax and Accounting Services. We are discussing myths about tax deductions, what you can legally write off. If you have any questions, feel free to call in. The number is 805-243-1301. And please remember the opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views or positions of the Manhattan Chamber of Commerce. Now, reading off the title of this program, Myths About Tax Deductions, what you can legally write off the... um, Devil in me wants to ask you now, what can you illegally write off? But I won't do that. No, because the truth is, if it's an illegal write-off, you can't write, you know. write it off. <laughs> I know, I know. Bad attempt at humor. Uh, now let's look at services. Some things are obvious business deductions, such as rent, marketing costs, professional fees, and services. What are the not-so-obvious deductions that some people miss? So going back to home, for me, the first thing that comes to mind is home office expense. Even though, you know, a lot of people know about it, they, they're sometimes they don't know if they're entitled to it. They don't. Some people don't even want to take it because they feel it raises a flag. And yes, it could be something that that may raise a flag, but it, that's if you, like I said, abuse it or like are too aggressive with it. If you do a reasonable amount and your and your home office is really your primary office and there is an area, it's not even necessarily a separate room. If it's a separate room, great. If not, if there's an area that's exclusively used for business and I encourage my clients to, to take it. Why not? You know, if you could even save a few hundred bucks, why not? So that's the first one. The second one is startup costs for a new business, whether it's accounting fees, legal fees, form- LLC formation costs, um, things like that are all deductible, of course. Uh, and if what I, people ask me a lot of the time, well, you know, I didn't even have the LLC set up yet or the corp set up yet. I paid for it personally. That's fine. I mean, technically, the right way to do it is once you fund the LLC or fund the corporation, just to reimburse yourself personally for whatever expenses you incurred up until you you formed the company. Um, it, it seems a little silly sometimes to fund the company and then cut a check back to yourself, but that's the right way to do it. Especially if you're under audit, it would show a great, a, a better, 
um, paper trail in terms of reimbursing yourself the expense rather than saying you just wrote it off without it coming from the LLC or court bank account. Moving expenses, another very common one. We, you know, on our organizers that we make all our clients fill out every year, um, we always ask, did you, did you move for work purposes? So it's if you moved more than 50 miles for work purposes, you are allowed to write off unreimbursed moving expenses, which uh, we have a lot of here at 212 Tax because we get a lot of new people who either moved into New York or out of New York and still want to work with us. So we, um, that's, uh, that's a common thing that people miss, and that's why we make sure we put it on our organizer so that we remind them about that. Finally, uh, carryovers, excuse me, carryovers of deductions not allowed in previous years, whether it's capital loss from stocks or rental real estate losses or net operating losses that you weren't allowed to take, whether your income was too high or whether you, you, you didn't have enough income to take the loss against. Um, those are things that are missed a lot, um, whether it's people doing their own returns or switching accountants. And that's why it's always important for us to have, the prior, for new clients, the prior year return, the two prior year returns, so that we can make sure we capture any carryover losses. Um, so that's, those are kind of the most popular things that people miss out on that we, of course, you know, being CPAs, try to make sure we, we, we recapture, we kind of get everything that, that someone could possibly miss on their own. If somebody's listening to the program and they didn't know, I don't know, that, let's take the uh, home office deduction, they didn't know about it and they didn't bother to mention it to their accountant. Is it, and they've paid all their taxes for the last few years. Is it possible to claim the deduction even though the years have passed? Sure. You can, file, you can amend your return. Uh, for, you can really amend your return whenever you want, but if it's something where you're going to claim a, more money back, a higher refund back, mm-hmm. you have three years from the due date of the return, including extensions, to file that return. So, and what if you're not going to get money back, but can you also lower your um, um, your bill? In other words, you don't yeah. owe it. You owed the the taxes. You weren't getting a refund. You were paying. And you haven't paid it all yet. No, you've paid you've it paid, all. If you already paid it all, then technically you're asking for money back. Yeah. So they're only going to oh. generally issue money back within three years. Oh, okay. Sometimes they are willing to make exceptions, which you have, if you take mm-hmm. it to a higher level and you know mm-hmm. different higher level revenue agents or appeals, you, there are some exceptions. It's not a hundred percent hard rule, but mm-hmm. generally, if they're not only going to cut a check back to you if it's within three years of the due date. Understood. Or, or actually, sorry, be- or two years of when you actually pay the tax. So if you file late and you pay tax, you still have another two years when you pay the tax. But if it's but if it's something where you actually owe more money, of course, they'll take your amendment, take your money whenever you want, plus penalties mm-hmm. and interest. There's no limit on there's no limit on uh, paying. There's no <laughs> limit on refunds, unfortunately. I got you. Now, can a business owner deduct health insurance and other forms of insurance? <coughs> yes, definitely. Health that's for self-employed taxpayers or business owners. That's one of the biggest deductions. I mean, trust me, as a, mm-hmm. as a business owner myself, I pay an enormous amount of money every month for my family's and health insurance, and at least something that makes me you know, feel a little better about it is that it's a complete write-off, so it, it is deductible. And it only seems fair. I mean, if I, if, you know, if me or you work for a company on a W-2, you know, the mm-hmm. insurance is coming pre-tax, coming off pre-tax for that company also. So mm-hmm. it only, it's only fair that, that, that self-employed people or business owners would be able to write off the insurance. 
other types of insurance, sure. I mean, whether it's professional liability insurance, errors and omissions, uh, workers' comp, disability. I mean, I don't think there's any type of business insurance or or health insurance that's not deductible. You know, it, is that also true for employees? Can they deduct their personal insurance if they're paying for their own health care? Mm, well, that's a complicated answer, but technically, no. It would have to go on. Mm. Schedule A itemized deductions, and there'd be a, it's only the first ten percent doesn't even get allowed, the first ten percent of your income. So it, it's yes and no, but it's a very rare circumstance. Okay. Now I think I ask you this every time you come on the show, and I don't want to break with tradition. So my question is, what haven't I asked you that I should have asked you? Of course, I could. We could do another show on on, <laughs> on other on other. You know, I tried to kind of condense my answers and keep it more sure. on the basic side. But one mm-hmm. thing, and we could do another show on this tax credits as opposed to tax deductions are different. Um, so just to like give a very high level of tax credits, the most popular tax credits are those for people who have to file in multi-states. So, for example, if you live in New Jersey, work in New York, you, you you're going to get you're not going to get double tax. You're going to pay your taxes for your wages earned in New York and you'll get a credit on your Jersey resident tax return. Mm-hmm. Um, so as long as you pay taxes to that, the state you work in, you get a credit in your home state. If your home state is a state that doesn't, or if the state you work in is a state that doesn't have tax, let's say there's a weird circumstance where you work in Florida most of the time, but your home state is New York, you wouldn't get a tax credit in New York because Florida doesn't have state income tax. Um, other types of tax credits are, well, the other most popular type of tax credit is the foreign Earn income tax credit. So if you work overseas, and if you do, it's similar how the states work, the foreign countries work, at least from a U.S. perspective. If you earn money in the U.K. and you pay taxes to the U.K., at least from a federal point of view, you should get most of that credit on your U.S. return, so you don't get double tax in the two countries. And of course, there's you know many other types of education credits and savers credits and earned income credit. And again, we could do a whole show based on credits, but I thought I would just mention that a tax credit is different than a tax deduction. And those are the most popular types of tax credits. Anil, I want to thank you profusely. Before I let you go, what's the best way for people to get in touch? The best way is to se- is to send an inquiry through the website, 212tax.com, or call us or email us. All, again, all our information is on our website, and there's also a lot of very informative things at 212tax.com. Uh, sometimes, you, you, of course, you're more than welcome to call or email anytime, but sometimes questions are answered right over there. Uh, but if you do want to stop by, we're pretty conveniently located at 370 Lexington Avenue, which is at 41st and Lex, a block south of Grand Central. So however you want to reach out, we're more than welcome to talk to you at any time. Thanks profusely, and I hope you'll come back on. Of course, anytime. Thank you. And always a special thank you to our listeners. And I'm sure Neil joins me in wishing everyone a safe and prosperous week. <laughs>